Welcome everyone to Seek Go Create. Tim Winders here, your host, coming to you as always, passenger seat of the RV Theo. Today, the conversation is going to revolve around some things that I love and I know that as listeners, you do too. First thing is, I got a guy that played basketball at the highest levels. I think he's about six, eight-ish or something like that. Maybe taller. I don't know. That's uh, what I read. And uh, yeah, six, eight. And uh, and so we got basketball. He's just come out with a new book called Filtering that we're going to discuss. He has an interesting background growing up in the Philly area and different background than me growing up in the burbs of Atlanta. We're going to discuss that. Y'all know I like to dig into uh, people that have different perspectives than I do. So we're going to have fun with that. So a lot of things that we will be covering on today's episode. So hang tight just a second. I want to remind you of one quick thing that we have so many resources over at our website at seekgocreate.com at seekgocreate.com. If you're watching this on YouTube, Facebook, listening on podcast uh, platform, make sure you go over there. And the big thing that I want you to do, scroll down to the bottom of the main page, put in your best email address because about once a week, ish. I put together a lessons learned, some things I've learned from our recent episodes, and it's a short email that I share with everybody just to keep you up to date on all things that are happening with Seek Go Create. So give us your best email if you haven't done that already and check out SeekGoCreate.com. Today on Seek Go Create, I've got Joel Green with us, and he's an author, CEO of Pro Level Training, National Nike Sports Camp Director, and former pro basketball player and a professional professional speaker Joel Green is with us. Joel, welcome to Seek Go Create. Sam, thanks, thanks so much for having me on, man, and congrats on year three as well. Thank you very much. Yeah, this that's a big deal, I think, in podcasting to kind of come in and have three years. You know, a lot of people do a few episodes and just disappear, so we're excited. I think we're about 175 to 180 episodes now with cool, awesome people like you that uh, that join us here. Hey, Joel, uh, first thing I want to do, I gave just kind of an abbreviated intro, but um, let's just kind of say that uh, we meet somewhere and my 5'11 looks up at your six foot eight and I say, hey, uh, Joel, or we're sitting by each other on a plane, which I hope you've got more leg room than I usually do when I'm on an airplane. <laughs> right. But, uh, you know, we Hello. just kind of say, hey, man, it's good to see you. What do you do? What do you typically answer people when they ask you that? You know, I make an impact on purpose. You know, that, that's something um, that... It covers a good amount of all of what I do, to be honest. I, I, I'm in a number of different industries. You, you've named them, you know, as far as being a speaker, you know, now being an author, being a national director for Nike Sports Camps, being a CEO of a company, everything is all for the same purpose. You know, um, I have the same goal as what was it, McDonald's back in the day had on their, their marquee, serve over a billion people, right? That's that's my goal. That's my purpose in life is to to hit that mark, you know, and that's what I'm about. So every industry that I'm a part of is just about being intentional with making an impact. Yeah. And, and the word impact is such a cool word. So I'm going to dig a little bit. We're going to kind of go deep right out of the gate here. And then we're going to kind of back up and get some background and some stuff like that. But how do you know? if you've made an impact, what are the clues that you see? Because I have some similar mission and sometimes mm -hmm. I'm like, man, we're, we're doing stuff. We're making it. And then sometimes I go, I look around the world and go, man, I really wonder about that. How do you know? How does Joel know if you're making an impact? 
Well, it starts with my intent to begin to begin with. You know, I I can objectively, you know, figure out if what I'm about to do is you know somewhat impactful, influential, informative. You know, things like that. So it's, it begins there to where I have a, a level of comfort to where you know I say, okay, I'm about to I'm going to try to make an impact with this thing I'm about to do. And just like you mentioned, beyond that, you don't know all the times, you know, it's not like you always get feedback on what you do. You don't always see reviews or things like that. But, you know, I, I like to dig. I like to find and find out what people thought about what I did about my service. And that helps me. If I only get one, I know that if I serve that to hundreds of people, more people than just that one person actually felt that way. And that's how I'm able to gauge different things. Not, I really try to seek feedback, cr- criticisms, things like that. And, um, you know, it, it fulfills me enough to make me do it again. Yeah, and I, it, that's a cool answer because it, you, you kind of gave a little bit of both sides of the spectrum. You know, sometimes when we're out doing things like we're on these social medias, we're doing what we're doing right now. We're recording something, trying to share something that will inspire and, and maybe help people. And then now you've just written this book, Filtering, that we'll, we're going to do a deeper dive later in the episode. Uh, but, you know, I, I just recently put a novel out and, and I realize I'm a pretty confident guy. My guess is you've got a pretty decent level of confidence with, with all that you've done. I started realizing as I was getting close to releasing the book that I was about to open myself up for, for a different level of possible impact, but also criticism that I've never done. Yeah. I mean, these two fingers typed out a lot of words. Yeah. Um, did you experience any of that as you were kind of getting closer to doing something new and different, which is releasing a book? Absolutely. I, I remember even hesitating to send my finalized manuscript to the editor. Right. I was like, oh, wait a second. This is uh, somebody's about to read my book, you know. And again, it's their job to critique, you know, but it still felt like, wow, I'm about to really open myself up to, you know, have somebody really break down and, and criticize what I put my heart into. And it was a different feeling that I had just to release it. Say, OK, I went over this thing three or four times myself, fully edited myself. I'm like, OK, now let me hit, hit, give it to the professional who does this. And yeah, I remember feeling that even before it was officially, you know, completed and released to the public. Yeah, well, well, I want to I want to talk a lot more about the book shortly. Mm -hmm. And I believe it's uh, a real powerful I've I've gone through about a third of it uh, over the last few days on my Kindle. I think it says I'm about 36 percent, something like that. But uh, I could tell, man, you threw a lot of your heart into it and a lot of just a lot of things trying to bless people that read it. And so we'll get to that in just a moment. But I got to do this first, because one of the things we do do here, Joel, is we really like to um, unpack or dig in, whatever you want to say, why people are who they are today. And we don't back off from the tough stuff, which is one of the things I think the tagline on your book is extract strength from struggle. So I, I want to fine tune or really go into that word struggle for a moment here. And we don't glorify it, but we learn from it. And so you grew up, and you shared a good bit in the book, but I, I want us to talk about it here. You grew up on uh, on in the Philadelphia area, which th- there's a lot of people that Philadelphia is an awesome place. 
Um, the thing being from the South that I always remember is the Philadelphia Eagles fans threw batteries at Santa Claus oh, one man. football game. So that's like <laughs> and we're, the city of brother, brotherly love. Tell us about your growing up and maybe get, redeem Philadelphia for me. That <laughs> <laughs> Look, first off, I can't say I'm surprised, man. You know, it, it's, it's unfortunate, but, but, you know, I was just at an Eagles game recently and it, it's, that's, you know that's the nature of of our fans man but uh i love it that's that's we're super passionate about you know our sports just about everything that honestly comes through and from philly you know if, if you know anybody else from philly you know we talk about it at the drop of a dime we brag about it as if it's its own state and it's only a city you know so that, that that's philly in a nutshell man but um you know it, for me coming up it it was honestly it was a blessing like it was tough no question um just being literally you know within the, the inner city growing up in north philadelphia to be exact it was it was dangerous in many areas you know i i saw it firsthand i was around it you know as far as just the the violence the drugs you know this was during a crack era you know so this was just it wasn't a, an ideal time period you know for people to be out publicly i'll say that um but you know it, it's it, it helped me to develop a callus to to danger, to just difficulty, man. It helped me to develop awareness uh, in regards to, okay, don't go down that area. Don't go that way because X, Y, Z may happen. So my common sense was developed so early because I my antennas went up at a young age. I was like, okay, I, I know my surroundings. I can walk into a, a new block or a new neighborhood or a room and I assessed it. This is before the age of 10. I had to look around just to make sure there was no quote unquote dangerous people here. So, you know, me being 10 feet away from a shooting myself when I was six years old, thinking I was going to get shot. Like the kid who was shot when I, that I witnessed, um, you know, it, it was a difficult time, man. But, you know, as a child, you, you have short term memory. So I was able to just continue to move forward and press forward and, and distract myself. And, you know, fortunately, that's what began to happen. And I began to distract myself with basketball and uh, just distract myself a little bit more with basketball and a little bit more on purpose. It was on purpose. You know, I knew what I was trying to escape. And, you know, the more I did it, the more it took me out of my, my neighborhood, which was a good thing. Yeah. The thing, Joel, and I, I kind of brought this up when we got started, and it's just something, I don't know if it's the age I'm at now and I'm trying to understand the world a little bit more, but you know, all right, this is going to get serious a little bit here. Everything in our media, the world out there, it really attempts to kind of drive a wedge between people. So, so let's go ahead and have a mature conversation here. I'm, I grew up in a lily white area in a suburb of, of Atlanta in the 70s and so there's just perspectives now we didn't we didn't have a lot of money it's not like you know we were wealthy or anything but you know we were like middle class both my parents were teachers i didn't realize we were as poor as we were until later <laughs> you know but uh but listen very different perspective than you grew in and everything wants to pit us against each other and um and so i i think i'd love for us to maybe have a little bit of a mature dialogue here and ask you something to the effect of what does someone like me need to know about how you grew up that i might not have a clue about just 
educate me a little bit and 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 I'm open to it. I mean, I could tell we're both. Neither one of us have a victim mindset, so it's not as if we're going poor, pitiful me. But to talk to us about what what I should know. Well, number one, I appreciate that question because I, I really feel that the, the racism that may exist, sexism, just all these isms out there, yeah. is because of ignorance. You know, in my opinion, it's it's a lack of understanding. It's a lack of knowledge of the other side that we may be hating or feeling ill of, about or toward. It's just literally lack of knowledge, you know, and that just allows us to have fear and hate creep in and that's what we spew out. So I appreciate you even asking that question. Um, for myself, you know, there's a whole lot of people like me, you know, not just talking about African-American, but those growing up, you know, impoverished to where we, we lacked. And I think what, is often looked down upon about those growing up in the inner city is the outcome as a you know in the effect as opposed to the causes you know that causes the again those effects you know we're very desperate growing up we didn't have much of anything and that desperation is what leads to so much violence stealing because we're desperate we don't have so we're just trying to find a way to get to survive and you know, people don't really realize that looking in from the outside that, man, they're actually desperate. They're just literally trying to survive. They want to make it to tomorrow. And the unfortunate thing too, man, that's what actually turns us against each other. You know, we see the black on black violence growing up that I've seen too many times. Again, that's what I've witnessed multiple times. And it's because the desperation is crabs in a barrel mentality. We just, we just want to make it to tomorrow and hopefully make it out of this neighborhood. And it's just, it's, it's a tough thing when not a lot of resources are given from the outside inward, even educationally, you know? And that was a tough part too, to where, again, I, I know this even more so now, I have family that's been in education. My mom was in education for over 20 years. I, I had the inner city education and I also had a suburban education my last year of high school. I transferred to a school that was just outside of Philly. It was saddening to see the difference of what was intentionally given versus what was intentionally kept away, you know, in the city. And I literally saw how, again, this is, you know, my, my opinion, but I experienced it at how that the amount of electives and true vocations and um, areas and walk of life that follows high school, I saw how much those things were given to the suburbs. And none of that was given to us in the city. Like none of it. It's like, man, no wonder most of us are gonna go work at McDonald's as opposed to becoming a CEO or a manager somewhere else. It's like, we were literally being groomed to work at the post office, which is nothing wrong with that but to work just locally and not really get outside of our neighborhoods, not go away to college and start our family somewhere else besides where we grew up. It was so many things I began to recognize. It's like, man, that's why I do what I do now as far as speaking, because I've been able to see multiple sides of life. So it was like, my my empathy has gone through the roof towards my own where I come from. Cause it's like, I literally know what's being withheld from them. And it's, I hope that those on the outside of that environment can at least understand like there's literally things being held back from us to become our best selves. 
Right. Yeah. And I mean, there's probably so many layers to that that we could continue diving into. I mean, obviously, there's the political, there's this uh, baked in, I'll, I'll use a word that's somewhat inflammatory, systemic, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's a word that's thrown around in different people on different sides of the equation. I, I think the thing that just really bothers me the most, Joel, is that the culture wants you and I, I'll just, I'll, I'll make it personal. The culture really wants you and I to be pitted against each other and to think that one has something that they're taking. And, and I just want to convey, I, I want to bust that up because everything spiritually, yeah, man, let the political folks keep doing what they're doing because I think they're going to keep going down that path. And, and I'm not really for either one of them, whatever. We've only got two choices here in the U.S. I think both of them have their flaws. But, but if we can do anything here just to kind of open up the conversation, I'm excited about it. The thing I want to kind of go a little bit into, though, is I like for any, I mean, the way we grew up is the way we grew up period. We can't change it. And, and one might argue that, you know, depending on your spiritual belief, that we're planted or created where we grew up for purpose, for reason, for, 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 for more divine purposes. So, so you grew up in that environment. Give me a couple of pros and then a couple of cons that you're still dealing with maybe to kind of overcome uh, before we kind of go into, I want to kind of talk some basketball here in just a minute, but but yeah. talk about some pros and cons about how you grew up in the environment you were in. Well, you know, it was definitely some pros, no question, man. Like I said, it helped to develop my, my common sense, which is so important. You know, when it comes to this world, you don't want to be taken advantage of. And I learned how to not be taken advantage of very, very early. I, I learned what, you know, just... Um, I learned what criminal looks like. I, and it sounds crazy to say, but even by the age of seven or eight years old, I knew what criminal looked like. I knew, okay, don't, if someone tries to invite you over to their car, do not go. You know, it was beyond just stranger danger. It was like, nope, I could tell exactly what's going on here, a block away, I'm not going anywhere near it. And I just wasn't oblivious to much. I, I, I had a level of awareness before the age of 10 that was beyond that of a typical child. And I'm saying that for myself and others in my environment, because we had to, we, again, we had to survive. Uh, so that was definitely a pro as far as developing our awareness. A pro was, it also made me tougher, I'll just be honest. Uh, it, it had me to develop a, a spirit of, of, you know, a fight that I needed um, later on in life. Uh, but I, I was able to help, you know, some would develop it early on. And it, I, I was able to just experience difficulty. Difficulty was a blessing for me, you know, as a young child. I mean, I didn't see it all the time during that period of time, but as I got older and I had to deal with, you know, death of loved ones or just defeat, honestly, loss, you know, whether it be in sport or just in life, or I failed at this, I failed at that. I always had the perspective of, oh, well, I went through worse before. You know, and that that perspective has all has carried me through so many things because I grown up in an abandoned house like I did or being around the violence. In my opinion, things could just be worse. So if I'm losing a job, I'm like, well, things could be worse. If I came up short on a venture, things could be worse. So that's been a major pro. Um, a con, I would say, is that and I've escaped this, but um, a con was just that 
you know, one side was good, one side was bad, right? Again, you, you begin touching on how they just kind of want us to, they want things to be black and white, you know, just being honest with you. And they want to pit two people against each other. And that was, I grew up with that thought. I'll be honest with you. I'm like, man, you know, we're here because, you know, white people are trying to keep it, you know, and I, I that, that was my- Do you, a little bit of a, do, you, do you have a little bit of a chip on your shoulder at all because of that, that, that may have been a con, but also may have kind of drove you? Mm -hmm. Oh, it was a big chip. Absolutely. Oh. <laughs> it was a big chip on my shoulder. For me, it, it, it wasn't a little, it wasn't a little crumb. It was, it was a whole chip. And um, for me, it, it definitely drove me because I knew what I saw. I knew what I saw. And all I saw was African-Americans just like literally walking around. You can tell when they were drugged up, you know, up the street from, you can just tell, you know, and I knew this again, I knew this at a young age. I can tell that person over there sitting on the pavement against that wall they just did some type of drugs. Like they're just leaning over, you know. They didn't even actually, they didn't always look poor, like homeless, like wearing, you know, multiple pairs of pants. You could just tell they were just, they just did something and they'll probably be up in an hour or so and they'll just be walking somewhere else and they'll go about their business. But I saw that and it just, they, everybody looked like me. And I'm like, anytime I saw someone that was not like me or, or white, and, you know, they look happy on TV and they just, you know, that's what was represented, you know? And I'm like, man, what's going on with this? So for me, it became a chip to escape what I was around, you know, and to honestly, I'm being, I'll be perfectly transparent, to get what I what I saw the other side have, right? So I, I said, okay, I, I want that, you know? I wanna actually have live in a house that doesn't have graffiti on the wall. Although, you know, I, I wanna have, you know, grass outside of my house, you know? So it was just like small things that that chip turned into motivation for me. And then at the same time, as I was working to get, I guess you could say to the other side of life, I began seeing like, okay, there's not just one side going through this. It's, 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 it's a, it, it's so much as far as uh programming conditioning that takes place. There is a, it's a, it's a high level of reality you know with this though but it's i still begin to just realize that there's a lot of propaganda that takes place there's a whole lot of things commercially that takes place again you mentioned systemic earlier it's, it's things that are politically just put in place to keep people in a certain level of, of mind mindset and mentality again it drove me to do what i do now as far as just trying to instill a level of belief into people say look this might be a con for you because of where you're growing up, turn it into a pro. Yeah, that's good. Any any um, spiritual background or anything growing up that uh, you, your family, or someone in the family you kind of had as a bit of a, I don't know, rock or something where you go, man, you know, you know, Auntie Sue, she's, she's, mm -hmm. she goes to church, she's doing stuff, or any, yeah. anything like that that you could have as an anchor along the way? Well, I'm a PK, man. I, I'm the youngest of four, and both my parents are ministers. I didn't so, see that. So, that do, you, do you get that later in the book? Because, you know, I wasn't picking up on that yeah. vibe. Usually you could get that yeah. vibe pretty, pretty early on that there's a preacher's mm -hmm. kid involved here. I didn't get that. Yep. Yeah, yeah, you, you'll, you'll see it in there. It, it's, uh, so I, I, both my parents are ministers, man. And uh, that, honestly, that's what helped me to escape. You know, mm -hmm. it, it was what they were intentionally instilling in us, all four of us, as far as there is another side. You can, you can, you can. It was so a whole lot of that. And it was that level of faith that just gave us a vision beyond where we were. And honestly, it helped 
to diffuse the hate that society was was putting in us you know every time we stepped outside of the house there was a whole lot of hate toward the other side you know we stepped in the house it was like all right look it's not about hate focus on what you need to do instead of focusing on them or anybody else you feel is holding you back that way you can propel yourself to the best of your ability and that's what they did for us uh we would watch documentaries we would have conversations about it we would have you know bible study in the evenings on our own and just talk and share testimonies just to making sure we're still grateful for things. And um, that right there, I mean, I still do, I do it with my son now. Yeah, that that's good. All right, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna shift, but it's related because you mentioned that you had all these influences, obviously, you know, biblical uh, ministry, documentaries and all that kind of stuff. But somewhere along the way, you saw the movie Teen Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, so right. people are going where are we going with this well i was right, reading well. one of your bios or something like that and i saw a clip from teen wolf recently and let me just tell you the basketball scenes that was not michael j fox i do not think no, it was no, somebody. <laughs> so what what no, was no. i mean so i know i went heavy and then light real quick but somewhere along the way basketball came into your life so t- tell us a little bit more about that and i think that movie had something to do with it or something yeah, that movie, it was a big influence, believe it or not. Um, I guess it was around like 1988 or so when I saw it. You know, I was just about three years old and um, I saw this movie with this wolf playing basketball. And it just it was like, you know, I was just fascinated. Like, man, there's animals playing basketball. And uh, and he dominated. That wolf, that, wolf, that wolf dominated too. He dominated the basketball. He was, he, he was better than Michael Jordan. I mean, look, this, that, that wolf was amazing. I, I'm like, man, you know, Michael... Michael J. Fox, he sucked when he was himself. But when he turned into that wolf, I was like, wow, I want to do it. I would have my nerve hoop and I would do the same type windmill dunks and everything. And um, it just was so cool to where I'm like, okay, I want to do that, right? I wanted to play basketball and dunk like the wolf. And I just began playing basketball a whole lot on my little nerve hoop. I remember I got one Christmas and, um, you know, I never looked back, man. I said, I, I'm, I'm going to to do what I saw, you know, on that movie and just, you know, win games and, you know, be picked up in the end after I win the game and stuff like that. And uh, it actually spurred, you know, my love for basketball, that that corny, cheesy movie that I still love. Um, it, it's, it kind of started me off in the game. <laughs> so you started playing basketball. You know, some people will say, uh, and boy, if this is a myth, just kind of correct me on this, but that a lot of people look at the way out of the the way you grew up is primarily athletics um that that you see a number of people do that now you somewhere along the way grew from 511 to 63 to 68 which obviously helped as far as basketball goes but did, was that like your way out? Was it your that chip on your shoulder? You taught you, I'm going to do this, or was it something that basketball was like? Okay, I really do love it because of that wolf playing basketball. What was a, what led you into basketball? Because obviously you, you probably have an athletic. You you probably could have played some other sports. I guess my question is, is athletics the way out of the situations we've discussed? And then why was it basketball for you? Yeah, I mean, look, it's not a myth. That's, that's a reality. You know, there's only, there's not a whole lot, again, that's offered to those in the inner city that say, here's your way out. Here's your ticket off of your block that you or your neighborhood that you're growing up in right now. And again, you know, in other areas, 
there's a whole lot of tickets, there's a whole lot of exit doors, there's a whole lot of, you know, ways ways out um, to where you have options, whether it be college, you know, just, you know, just different options, inheritance and just ways, and just not inheritance financially, but inherent, inheritance of knowledge, of wisdom, of investments and things like that to where it's like, oh, okay, I got another way out. We didn't get a lot of that. So we knew it would either be athletics, you know, by way of basketball, or football, those were the two primary, you know, a few of us would make it in, make it out by way of baseball. We kind of did our thing in and out of the city a little bit, kind of on the outskirts. Uh, but basketball, football, or music, you know, and that was just the thing. It's like you know, either entertainment or athletics. Um, business or you know, business really wasn't a consideration. You know, um, it's not for a ton of kids, but it wasn't like I even heard the word investment or stock market or anything like that until I was older. You know, I, I love those things now, but it wasn't given down to me or my siblings or my friends from our parents. They they didn't know about it, you know, as far as like in depth. So, yeah, basketball for me, man, obviously, you know, Team Wolf, I fell in love with the movie and it just was fun to play and, and do what I saw them do on the movie. But my, one of my older brothers, you know, he was a basketball player. My, you know, my father, he, he played basketball coming up. So they kept me in the game, kept me involved in the game. And uh, once I began to see where it could take me, I'm like, this is my ticket to college. You know, I knew, you know, we didn't have a whole lot of money for my parents to be sending all of us to college and stuff like that. So I, it was it was intentional for me to earn a scholarship so that my parents didn't have to pay, you know. So I, that drove me. I'm like, all right, cool. I, I could see a couple of my friends getting scholarship offers. I'm like, okay, I want that too. I saw you know, guys going to Temple, you know, back home in Philly. And I'm like, oh, man, I can do that. So it became a huge motivating factor for me to, again, make it out. Um, and once I was able to start playing AU basketball and that took us in tra into traveling and things like that, I said, I, ha I have to make it out. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring up something because I was sitting here thinking to myself, I literally was thinking another Michael J. Fox reference. There was this there was this TV show called Family Ties where he played Alex P. Keaton and he wore a tie all the time. And he was he was talking about business and all this stuff he was doing. That was actually me growing up. I was that guy that was always talking business. So it's interesting, the contrast. Now, I will say this. If I could have done anything, I would have loved to have played basketball. But I'm about 5'11". I'm obviously a white guy, which doesn't preclude anything. However, I'm slow, can't really jump very well. And as much as I worked on my shot, couldn't really overcome a lot of stuff. So um, at, at what I mean, so I guess the contrast is there. I mean, I was thinking business. I mean, I had my first business when I was at Georgia Tech uh, shortly after I started school there. So it is interesting, the paradigms that are that are different there. At what point did you realize you were pretty good? at basketball was there a play there was a point in time where you go huh this could be my ticket or i'm better than a lot of the folks around me or i'm pretty good i might be able to make it playing basketball when was that i was about 10 years old 10 you know, and, uh, wow yeah pretty early uh that's when i i got my first if i'm not mistaken my first mvp trophy for my for the i played in the west philadelphia bitty basketball league uh, the West Philadelphia YMCA, the Bitty Basketball League. And um, actually, I was 11 years old when it happened. But I knew even before that point, I, I was like the best player in, in the league. And um, 
It's the whole story. I won't tell it, but you know, I remember when I was ten years old, I knew I was MVP of the league, and I didn't get the trophy. And I just, it made me. I worked so hard at that age to where I'm like, whoa, I can be the best player in this area at least. You know, I didn't know about the whole city. I didn't care for the whole city. I, you know, I was just ten. It was all about who I saw every day. Like, if I'm the best player amongst them, I feel like a champ. So um, that happened around ten or eleven years old, and I'm like, okay. I could see myself going to a cool high school doing this and 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 beyond, you know, going to college. And uh, I wasn't thinking a whole lot about college at that time, but I knew of different high schools that were like big on basketball. You know, we ha- I had guys that came before me that I would hear my older brothers talk about like Rashid Wallace and other guys that were playing in North Carolina and the NBA and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, I want to do that. So, you know. So what's interesting about it earlier, you mentioned that your your environment that you grew up in, the pros of it was that it created an awareness. I think you were able to see things broader than just maybe what was right in front of you and could pick up on when things were a challenge or danger or different things like that. And you also talked about toughness was one of the pros. You know, a lot of people, we, we don't want to dive into the technical aspects of basketball, but there's a lot of people that are fast, tall, and can mm-hmm. jump. But what, what most people don't really recognize is the awareness of being able to know what nine other people on a court are doing and mm-hmm. the up and down of the court. T- tell me a little bit about how the awareness from the tough upbringing, maybe or maybe it didn't, if it doesn't, fine, translated into when all of a sudden... Joel is on the court and there's a lot going on maybe up in the stands, but then there's also nine other guys, four on your team, five on the other, that you kind of have to see more than one one person and all. Does that make sense? Did that question make sense at all? Oh, big time. It definitely translates. Uh, there's no question. I mean, you have to learn how to watch your back on the street. You know what I mean? And it's not like you're constantly attacked, but you're, you, you do have a constant feeling of, possible attack I, me and my brother were just talking about it on the phone he's over in germany but so when we talk we really talk in depth and we were talking just about a week ago like how we used to be on alert just walking up the street to the store to the corner store we was looking over our shoulder and i never forget when i learned how to drive he told me <clears throat> my dad taught me how to drive when i started driving with him every once in a while you know i still had my permit or something like that he will always tell me when we stop at a light Give yourself like four feet of space in between you and the, and the car in front of you so that you can have room to escape in, ca- in case anything happens. And I, it's crazy. I still do that. I was like 18 to 17, 18 at the time. But that's how we grew up with that level of, of, of alert, alertness. And it definitely translates onto the court because you have your friends back on the street or in school, things like that. It is, it's the same thing on the court. Like you have your, your teammates back. If you see something looming, you're there to help them out as far as even a potential, you know, somebody setting a screen on them. You're calling it out because you see it ahead of time. You don't want them to run right into it. It's the small things like that that are definitely translate over into and just an overall drive. Like, again, being on the street, just you're going hard just to hopefully you're going hard to escape it. That's not the case for everybody, unfortunately. But, you know, in my case, I can attest to definitely going hard to escape it. It helped me to go hard on the court as well, just to to win, to compete. I, you know, I'm a competitor, so that that was the best part for me was to to not fear competing. I I didn't 
I didn't fear competing at all. It was like, if I had playing against a big name, I'm like, all right, cool. You know, th- it could, things can be worse. You know, it really, it, it could be a lot worse than this. It's my time to shine now. I can steal their name. Yeah. And, and I want, uh, you go into a lot more of your, some things you did with basketball and things like that. And I, I would love to keep having that conversation, but I'm going to recommend people get the book because you cover some more things there. I'm going to ask a similar question that I ask about your growing up years. What are some pros and some cons about your career in basketball and sports? So, you know, a few pros that's like, okay, I've carried this on into my life beyond that. And then maybe some cons is like, okay, I'm still trying to overcome this that I learned or something. I, I don't know what it might be, but uh, mm-hmm. give a couple of those before we kind of keep moving on and start uh, diving into the book a little bit more. Well, it's so many pros, man. So it's, it's too many, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, I learned so much just from, you know, playing basketball, especially at a professional level. You know, again, I still have the same or similar schedule of sorts, you know, as far as my morning routine. You know, I used to wake up at like 4.30, before 4.15, 4.30, start my day then. Now I'm happy to wake up at 5, 5.15. It's, it's a nice break. You know, and I, I get up, I, I pray, you know, get, spend my mindful, mindful time for a good 20, 25 minutes, read the Bible. You know, after that, eat a small breakfast, and then I work out. This is all before 7 a.m. And so those are the type of things I did as an athlete, and it just helped me to feel good. Like, not just you know, mentally, I mean, not just physically, but mentally as well, physiologically, it just, you know, mind, body, everything felt good. I felt like I, I can attack my day. So I do that now in business. I do it as a father to where now I, I wake my son up, you know, seven o'clock. He's breakfast. We work out some mornings, you know, and I know what it does for him. It gives him confidence. Like, man, I did something that my classmates didn't even do today, you know, um, and it, it, it feels good to do. So that's been a major pro that I've carried over from sports is just that mentality uh, and, and schedule and discipline. Um, another major pro I have to mention this is just the ability to, to, to go beyond what I feel like doing. Um, that's something I definitely learned in sports to where it's like, okay, you have a mandated 10 reps of something, do 16. You know, that, that's my mentality now. If somebody tells me I got 12, nope, I got about 18 of them. You know, and that's just, for me, it's about overachieving. I love to overachieve on purpose. You know, uh, people give overachieving a bad rap. They'll even call it, he's overachieving. Yep, I am. You know, and I'm doing it on purpose. And guess what? You're recognizing me for it. You know what I mean? And that's that's what people need to realize. Like, overachieving is a good thing. You know what I mean? You don't have to do the norm. You don't have to fit in. You don't have to just do the dogmatic stuff that's already in place. I love overachieving. I got that from sports for sure. So, um that's a major pro and uh, a con I, I would say uh ah it's tough it's tough to think of some cons um let me let me let me hit you with one and you tell me yay or nay uh, one it. of the things within our culture that's challenging is when our identity starts being wrapped around what we do and I've talked to some folks that were athletes or maybe in a little bit more of a celebrity or you know type situation and at times people like that struggle when they step away from it you know you're wrapped up i mean i think you're still involved with the sports world we'll talk about your businesses just a moment here but but what was it like when you realized maybe you were not going to be competing 
at that competitive level, something that you've been working for since it sounds like you were 10 years old or whenever you saw that movie Teen Wolf and all. And, and I know you still work out and things, but it is different when all of a sudden you're not competing at, you know, that that level. Uh, what was it like for you with your identity when all of a sudden you realize, you know what, this this phase of my life may be over? I'm so glad you pointed that out because that, that was a con. That was a con mm -hmm. for me, no question. I, I, I went through an identity crisis. I uh, went through, the, I experienced depression, depression and anxiety for the first time. Uh, so again, I'm glad you highlighted that because I wasn't even thinking about that side of things. But when I stopped, you know, I, I was trying to transition into business and um, I had to get, you know, quote unquote, regular job, you know, and just having to work in a call center after being cheered for by thousands of people and you know, being yelled at on the phone by people about their portfolios and bank accounts and things like that. It was, it was tough, I, you know, um, just trying to transition and build up my own company. But, you know, it, it was a really difficult time because you are, again, we, we, we know what we're called in college as far as student athletes and high school student athletes. But the reality is we're athletic students, you know. Um, I'm just to be honest. I'm just being blatant about it, you know. Um, it's, it's sports first when it comes to so many of the coaches, even for the kids. The, the, the political spiel is to, hey, how's the grades doing? You know, they'll ask that first because they're supposed to. But the truth of the matter is the most important thing is the sports. Um, that's what that's what got us to the school, right? Mm -hmm. we, they wouldn't have given us the full scholarship if it, if it wasn't for how we performed on the court. And if we didn't perform on the court, we may not been able to go to school any longer if we didn't uphold the requirements of that scholarship. So when it came down to it, it was sports first. So you, you, you're conditioned to be an athlete, you know, and, and, and I'm going to say minimize, but education ends up being min minimal a little bit um, and not prioritized. So you just so athlete, athlete, athlete first, you're like, man, by the time you step outside of that, you're like, man, I know I'm more than an athlete, but in what way? And, and, and I experienced that. And, and we want to put people, I mean, we do this, and I. this is one of the things that I'm very uh, critical of our culture. We put athletes, celebrities high up on pedestals. And, 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 and I think it's to their detriment. I mean, even smaller type colleges and schools have 40, 50 year old men that are idolizing 18, 19, 20 year old kids. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I believe that it's kind of tough. I mean, I never had this issue. I mean, it's kind of like <laughs> not poor pitiful me, but it's not like, you know, but I, I see it definitely at the big universities. I think it's even at the smaller level that, uh, you, you know, you got this 45 year old guy saying this 18 year old kid is so awesome. They're fawning over him, things like that. Mm -hmm. I think it's got to be tough to kind of move up through that, depending on background. It sounds like you had a good solid parental background, but we know that some don't. And then all of a sudden, when that's over, then what? That's That's got to be a challenge, I think. It's tough. I've had conversations with so many of my friends that, you know, began in recent years, began, you know, getting out of the game um, just because it's, it's, it's their time. You know, just ready to retire, ready to start things at a new age that, you know, at the time they may be about 35 years old. And it's like, that's old in sports. You know what I mean? It's like, so all, all of a sudden it's like, hey, hey, hey Jay, man, I, we've seen you do this, you know, how did you go about it? I, I stepped away earlier than most. You know, I, I I really wanted to try this business stuff out. I got my business license while during 
one of my seasons in Europe, you know. Um, so I, I knew I would step away a little bit sooner. My curiosity just, it led me there. And um, so I've had multiple conversations with with buddies of mine, people that I didn't even know that would reach out to me and say, hey, man, we see you killing it here, over here. You're doing really well. How? How are you doing it? How did you transition into it? And so I, I never leave out the fact that it wasn't as clear cut as it may have seemed from the outside, you know, outside looking in. It may look that way. I struggled to get to where I am. Um, but again, I embrace the struggle. I, I always find that sweet spot within the struggle and I use it. And, um, but it wasn't easy. Again, going through depression, questioning who I am as a person, I never did that before. Mm-hmm. I was always very secure, never insecure. I'm like, man, who am I? You know, my marriage began to suffer. It was just, it was bad because I'm like, I was this athlete, you know, promoted and just, you know, always touted and, and talked about. Then all of a sudden, nobody was talking anymore. And nobody was, nobody, seemingly nobody cared. Right. And that was a tough thing to deal with, but I had to care for myself more. So it was a it was a good teaching point for us for me to not have to be validated by everybody else and begin validating myself. Yeah. Well, doing new stuff stretches us. I mean, we can get comfortable wherever we are. So you transitioned mm-hmm. into some business. Tell us just briefly about the businesses and what's going on with those. And then I want to make sure I've got plenty of time to, you know, a few minutes here to talk about the book before we wrap. So tell us about your businesses. Well, I mean, I, I had probably about four or five businesses that no one would ever know about really, but you know, just the ones that didn't oh, work one of those, uh, those were the, those were the valuable ones though. You learned. <laughs> Exactly. Look, I, I learned a whole lot, man. I'll be honest. I, I really did learn a whole lot. But, you know, the, the one that I, I could tell I had a true passion for and it wasn't just a great idea, which those other ones were great ideas, but they weren't my passion. And that's why they didn't last. But the, the business that I've had for over a decade um, is my company, Pro Level Training. And that's that was just me literally showing people what I learned, you know, as a pro, but giving it to the youth, you know, at the same level that I learned it. But obviously in moderation, you know, if it's an 11-year-old kid that I'm working with, you know, I'm not going to have the same intensity. Like, all right, you wake up before 30, you know, but, you know, I, I, that's what I begin delivering to different kids. And um, Nike Sports Camps, they've caught wind and we we, get, we partnered up. And again, this was about 10 or 11 years ago that that happened. And, um, you know, it, we just began growing. My company began growing around the country. We began to help to grow the Nike camps around the country. You know, my company, we grew into about close, close to 20 states across America now and uh, almost 40 cities. And we just, you know, just kept spreading, our, making our influence and impact as many places we can. And just, you know, we cover a lot of different sports, man. And it is, again, it's a passion of mine. I'm really intentional about making sure that not just the skills are being developed, but the mindsets of these kids are being developed. It's, it's basketball, lacrosse, football, soccer, whatever sport we're handling, that's a sneaky vehicle just to get into these kids' heads, man. It's just like, we want to make sure they're going to grow up and be amazing individuals. It's not just playing amazing at their sport. So, I mean, that's 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 my business in a nutshell, man. That's it's a major focus of us to, to really develop not just the bodies and the skills of these kids, but the, the mind and the mindsets as well. Yeah, well, at, so at some point, and this is always a fascinating question for me because I did similar and we get to talk to a lot of people that do this. At some point, Joel rolled out of bed or you were working out or you were spending time in prayer or something 
and you got this interesting idea that you were going to write a book, mm-hmm. <laughs> which 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 is interesting. A lot of people say they want to write a book, but then actually writing the book is like there's very few people that seem to cross over. I guess maybe more mm-hmm. people than we would say. So, what provoked? that why why write a book i mean you're doing well you got you know life's going well and then you have to sit down or work with a team or whatever <laughs> to put all these words on paper and to get something different out in the world why well i began writing the book while i was going through some struggles man again during that that moment of, of finding myself you can say you know as far as what, what my who i truly am what i'm capable of beyond just the game of basketball you know on the court and um, was again going through marital struggles at the time. Just it was a tough period for me. And I just began venting, as most would, but I, you know, journaling in essence. And I had this word documents where I would just, for myself, discuss different topics. Person, I would put the word perseverance, and I would just talk. I would start typing about perseverance, you know. Now we're related back to my life, and I would think of a story that I had to persevere. And I would just put it all in this word document. All of a sudden, I wrote a thousand words. And I would just leave it there. Right, this had this started back in 2014, you know, about seven years ago or close to it, and um, I just I just kept doing that, and you know I would write about another something else, you know, uh, perspective, and I would just write about it. What how is my perspective different than others? And I would just write about. I wrote 2,000 words, and I just had this word document, man, that had like 10, 15,000 words in it. And I said, I got, it has to, this is going to be a book. And I was already speaking, I'm a speaker as well. So I was already on, on stage during the same time discussing verbally these same topics and mentioning some of these same points that I would write about. And I said, okay, I'm going to call this book Filtering. This was in 2016, just to fast forward a little bit. And I said, okay, all right, I'm, I'm going to have a book one day, right? And people have been telling me for a while I need to have a book. I'm like, ah, I'm not a writer, but I've been writing, you know, for a little bit already, just behind the scenes. And so I started, I have the title for this book. I'm like, all right, let me keep contributing to it. I just never took it serious to actually make this thing into an actual book, man. And it wasn't until 2019 until something happened. And again, you, you've seen the beginning of the books where I was like, I got to get serious about it. I got serious about it. And I actually put myself on a schedule, which I never did before. I made writing a part of my daily schedule. The moment I did that, it literally became, it came easy for me. It was just like a part of what I did. And um, I'm so glad I did that because now it's less than an intimidating thing to do another book. Because I, I know I just got to schedule it. But um, that's that, that was, I knew I had to as well. I, mean, I, I was reading a whole lot. I was reading like nine books every three weeks. And I had to regurgitate this stuff in some form or fashion. So... I just began writing and contributing to what my book, man, and, and, and it finally happened. I love the uh, the thought of you adding it in your schedule because I think many times we, a lot of people, probably people listening in, think that we're going to just manifest this book, you know, mm-hmm. 30, 40, 50, 70,000 words just because we think we've got a book in us. That's kind of the quote mm-hmm. unquote a lot of people have. Right. But there's work involved, just like we talked about work with, you know, basketball and business and things like that. And 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 that work is a different muscle than just about anything else I've ever done. I mean, it's challenging. Agreed. Agreed. So so here's the big question I love to ask authors, especially people that have come from like where you have. What did you learn about yourself 
during the book writing process? Because I'm wondering at times if God doesn't say, I'm going to have Joel and Tim write a book and yeah, they're going to sell copies and it's going to be awesome. Mm -hmm. It's going to have impact, but it's really more about them than it is <laughs> the process. What'd you learn about yourself? I learned a lot, man. Uh, just, just by way of reflection, you know, just that, that just reflecting so much back on my life, it helped me to appreciate things like I never have before. I mean it. Like mm. as I begin to think about different stories and the things that I did overcome in ways that I never thought about, I'm like, whoa. I, I'm it it made me more grateful. You know, I, I never felt like I was an ungrateful person, but there were many times, I'll be honest, I, I I'm writing, I'm tearing up while I'm writing, you know. Sometimes I'm laughing while I'm writing. But it just made me grateful and appreciate life like I never had before, man, to where I appreciate people. I'll be honest, it helped me to appreciate people even more because, again, I definitely began writing this book for myself. It was a way of ventilation. It was a way of, it was therapy for me. But I can tell I began speaking to others and writing for others as I continued writing the book. And when I went back to do edits, I'm like, nope. I got to talk to them now on this part instead of just for myself. And it just made me, again, I've never been a selfish person, but less, you know, selfish. And it just made me more empathetic toward other people. And just, I just think of others more, man. So I would say it put me in, in a very grateful and selfless place um, putting this book together. Yeah. How old is your son? You mentioned your son. He's How nine. He's nine years old. Nine. Was, was he... I don't want to say involved with the process or anything, but is, is he kind of aware? I mean, it sounds like he's younger, so he may or may not be aware of your athletics and all that you did. I mean, you may have shared some of that with, but, but I mean, as, as a book came out, what, what was his involvement? I mean, he kind of like, Oh yeah, dad wrote a book or something. What, mm -hmm. what, what's, what was his response? Because a lot of people say books are legacy type mm -hmm. items. So what about that? What about your son? Well, I mean, he, he he played a major role in it, man. Because again, I he was when I got serious about it, he was about six going on seven, right? And um, again, 2019, and I was teaching him how to read during this time. You know, obviously, he could read a little bit at the time, a few vocab words, some spelling words, but really trying to teach him how to read paragraphs and things like that. So he's he knows I'm a big reader too. Like I I love to read and just taking information. I love to learn. So I'm like, all right, look, man, you know, daddy's writing a book. He knew, he knew what I was doing in the mornings, like before he even woke up, I would tell him. Sometimes I would even read portions to him. He would come stand behind me while I'm sitting at the desk. He's like, oh, what you doing? You know, being a little curious kid. And I would tell him, I just wrote this part right here and I'll read it to him. He's like, oh, that's cool. You know, his walk up, you know, like, is that a big deal to him that daddy's writing a book? He's just like, oh, he's just doing something else. But um, yeah, I mean, he played a major part in it, man. Me having him to to just read during that time was a big motivating factor for me. Because um, I told him I'm writing this book, and he he would also see me reading these books, and I'll put him on reading challenges. I gave myself a reading challenge, you know, during the same time period of reading 30 books in 30 weeks. This is while I was writing my book too. Mm. So you know, I read 31 books in 29 weeks, uh, just like early in the pandemic, and uh, I put him on a not a challenge like that. But I just, you know, I just told him, okay, let's try to get through a book a week. Let's see if we can do that. And um, we were able to do a few, a few, you know, do that once or twice. But uh, it was, it was, he played a huge motivating factor for me, man. Outside of him just being my son, 
and trying to create something like you said for legacy sake you know he just me looking at him i mean it too man i don't I'm not trying to sound sappy but me just literally looking at him seeing him play a video game and he don't know when i'm looking at him is motivating for me i'm like i love him just growing and whatever way i can contribute to his growth whether it be me writing this book and him saying wow daddy wrote a whole book that feels good to me you know what i mean like that that alone said, wow, he had the book. He, he brags about it, you know? Um, he brags about my athletics. He knows all about my, my background as far as, you know, basketball goes. He knows that I ran track. He knows that I played football for like a hot second. So I share all that stuff with my son, man. And it, it really, it pushes me. Yeah, it's good because I see, I saw a lot of that um, uh, bleeding out of the pages, even though I was reading on a Kindle, but I saw it on the pages <laughs> yeah. as I was, mm -hmm. as I was reading to it, you know, the, the title is kind of fascinating to me, filtering, you know, how to, or, or extract strength from struggle. Those are some, those are big words there, but the word filtering, I must admit, I was kind of like going, okay, what is, what does this mean here? So tell us about the title. Where'd that come from? What is the meaning and, and, uh, and, and what is all that about? Well, I'm an abstract guy, man. I, I love abstract art. I just, you know, love abstractions, period. So even looking at the cover of the book, you're probably like, what's going on with this face? You know, like, <laughs> what's, what's taking place here? Yeah. yeah. Right. So yeah, I, I, that's exactly what I wanted for people to, to wonder. Like, okay, they see my face kind of disappearing or is it coming together? I, I wanted people to draw their own perspective uh, of the cover, of even the title. By you know, uh, but by the time they actually begin reading the book, they'll understand it by the end. But filtering in itself, man, just as with anything else that you filter, you, you try your best to to pull in the good and leave behind the bad. You know, whether you're filtering an air duct or you know water, things like that. Um, but I came up with this method for myself just to filter my circumstances, my emotions, so that I cannot just dismiss these things that are here to actually improve me. Mm -hmm. You know, my, my anger, you know, the sadness, the happiness, all these emotions that I experience from day to day. I can't just look at these things as a bad thing as, I, as we always have as far as anger. It gets a bad rap. Sadness even gets a bad rap so many times. You know, crying for men, it gets a bad rap and it's like, I need to lean into these things more and see how, what I can draw from them to actually make me better. Uh, as opposed to just being angry and moving on from what I was angry about. Why was I angry about it? Question it, lean into it and say, okay, now I understand why that, that triggered me. I'm not gonna let it trigger me next time. Cause now I have an understanding cause I leaned into it. And that's what the filtering process does. It helps you to break everything down, to really assess it, brainstorm about it and say, you know what? Ah, that's what I was supposed to get from this, this situation. And now that situation won't keep coming back again and again and again, as life so often <laughs> will do for us just to learn one lesson. It will put us on a cycle just to finally learn that lesson. Once we learn it, we get to move on from that situation. Almost like a video game. Like you don't move on to the next level until you complete that objective. And um, that's, that's what filtering is, man. It, it really just helps people to overcome things while they're going through it. You don't have to wait on hindsight to give you those answers. You can do it, you can figure those things out in a moment. Sure, when we started, Joel, I asked you, you know, what you do and you mentioned that with, I might not be wording it correctly, but you wanted to have impact on people. Mm -hmm. You wanted to have impact and you were intentional about having impact. What's the impact 
that you desire people to have that get this book, read a portion of it, read the whole thing, whatever. I mean, sometimes we don't know, but, uh, but like in your quiet time, you know, maybe in prayer time and you're, you know, talking to the Lord and asking, you know, I really want blank to happen when somebody reads this book. What is that? I want people to open their hearts and their minds to, to other viewpoints, to other perspectives. And I, I mean, that, that's a huge thing for me. I mean, I said it earlier, as far as the, the, the isms that exist, whether it be racism, sexism, or the thousands of other isms out there, it's because it's a very closed-minded perspective, right? Um, we're only seeing things from our one subjective point of view. And we're not objective in any way. It's like we refuse to step out of, out of our own shoes to see things from another angle. And again, with filtering, it, it again, you get into this brainstorming phase to where you start to objectively see things as if it's not even your own situation. And that's just becoming your own therapist. You begin to see things, you begin to see yourself as your friends may see you, as your, your parents or those close to your spouse may see you. That's a really important thing to not just be so close-minded to where you only see things from your own lens. And that's, my prayer, my hope, my desire is for people to really open their hearts, open their minds to other perspectives, man. It, it'll only make every, you know, the world better, not just themselves, but I, I promise you, everything around you will make you better. And uh, that's definitely my hope from this book. Yeah, that's the, the, the cool thing about that is that is the theme of a lot of what we do here. Your book is driving that point home. Truthfully, Joel, conversations like this, I believe, have that that type of impact. I'm hopeful that it does. So, and we could keep going, but where can people find you or the book, or where do you want people people to connect with you? All those will be down in the notes. We've got extensive notes that we'll include, but just give people verbally where you want them to go if they want to connect with you. And then I've got one more question for you. Cool, cool. You can connect with me on, on social media. I'm on Instagram at uh, jgreenplt. That's J-A-Y, Green, P-L-T. Uh, I love engagement. So, I mean, you know, those that know me, if you send me a DM, you know, a message of any sort, you know, ask me a question, you'll hear right back from me. I, I love that interaction right there. Uh, I'm on Facebook, Joel Green Official. Um, so, again, you can find me on social media or through my website, joelbgreen.com. And you can find the book uh, on Amazon.com or Barnes and Noble if you prefer that website. But um, again, it, it's it's just it's there it's there for you. I'll be honest with you, it's there for you. Uh, but I love feedback. I love criticism. So I welcome you know reviews and things like that. That way I can really see how it's effect affecting other people. And um, yeah, I just want I really wanted to make an impact on you guys. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Good. To connect with more people i think that's one of the things we're missing in the world today people are kind of hanging out with their own tribes or people and Mm -hmm. we need to uh kind of start connecting with others hey joel we are seek go create those are the three words that we use as our title and i'm going to give you one word one of those they're all you could probably come up with stuff but which one word means more to you right now today than the other two and why i would say seek um Seek because I'm a very curious person, right? And it's that curiosity that has led me and still leading me to a lot of great things. I'm super, super curious. And I push my son to be super curious, you know, about just the world and what his capabilities are and what he can create and 
what he can draw when we're sitting down drawing and coloring. So for me, it would definitely be seek because as, as you're seeking, you're in that place of curiosity. When you're in a place of curiosity, you're in a place of growth, whether you realize it or not. That's the foundational place for growth is just to be curious. It's just begin looking. And so I, I would say seek for sure. And um, there's no doubt in my mind, it's, de it's definitely seek. Yeah, excellent. Thank you for that. Yeah, and I love that word curiosity because you know, over the last few years, we've heard about virus and things being contagious. To me, curiosity and seeking, it, it is contagious and we need it to be more contagious than it is. And so uh, so that's exciting to hear you say that. Folks, you need to get the book Filtering. This is, uh, it's been a great conversation, but we just scratched the surface of the book. And so you need to get that, jump down to the notes or wherever you're listening or watching this on and uh, get a copy of the book and support Joel and all that he's doing and reach out to him. Listen, we need to be conversing more about some of these topics and others that uh, we talk about here at Seek, Go, Create. So make sure you do that. Also, another big favor, share this episode. If you're on the podcast uh, platforms, you can share it easily there, take a screenshot or someone you can actually share out of the episodes now with clips and things like that. If you're on YouTube watching this, make sure that you uh, share, comment, things like that. That just helps get the message out. This is a message that people need. Uh, because there's a lot of other junk being talked about out there. And we need these type conversations, I believe, to get out there in the world more. So make sure that you do that. Thanks for listening in. We've got new episodes every Monday at Seek Go Create. Until next time, continue being all that you were created to be.